Well, triangles produce a lot of mistrust, as you saw with the fox, creating mistrust between the farmer and the hen, who prior to him being involved had a very good trusting relationship. And today in our shape series, we're looking at the shape of the triangle, because triangles cause a lot of problems. It's the triangle of gossip, the triangle of miscommunication. In many, many ways, it creates an environment of mistrust in your family and the workplace. How does it do that? Well, for one thing, instead of talking to each other directly, when you talk to someone to talk to someone, that's a triangle, it just wastes so much time, right? How many times have you had to chase down gossip or what you heard somebody might have said? Second thing is it amplifies. When somebody's complaining about somebody who's not in the room, they magnify the problem. They, they up the amplitude, right? So when you get into triangulization in your family, in your business, it amplifies the problems and makes things bigger than they really are. Thirdly, is it creates mistrust. Because when people only have two data points, data point one, data point two, they connect the dots in the most pathological way possible. And Jesus offers a solution to this, and it's simply called eliminating triangles. How do we eliminate triangles in our relationships? Well, triangles are not always easy to spot. In fact, there's an old puzzle that maybe you've seen on the internet somewhere that discusses or has this big picture of a triangle and says, how many triangles do you see? Like, oh, well, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 triangles. You go, no, I think there's 16. Or Whoa, what about the big triangle here? Let's add that one to the list. Okay, I think I got it now. Well, there's a lot more triangles than you realize. What about this triangle? Or this big triangle? Or this triangle? Or this triangle? Or how about this triangle here? Or this triangle here? See, triangles are all around us. Sometimes it's your son running to talk you into telling mom or convincing mom to do something, or vice versa. You find that your child knows how to push the buttons between your spouse and you, or now you're grown. You had a call from your father who's complaining about your brother who lives out in Seattle, and now you're caught in a triangle. There are triangles everywhere, and Jesus has a simple solution taught to us by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul on how to transform triangles into lines. Wouldn't it be nice not to have all that mistrust and gossip in your family? We can do that by transforming triangles into lines. How do we do that? How do we transfer a, a triangle into a line? How do we take the relationships that currently look like this in our department, in our family, in our home, and make it more direct communication? That's what we're going to look at today. In fact, Patrick Lencioni speaks about this in a business relationship. One of the things that happens when you have bad communication is you have a lack of trust. When you have a lack of trust, then there's a fear of conflict. I don't want to go directly to you. I'd rather kind of pretend that we've got a good relationship while I'm talking about you behind your back. That begins to grow and becomes a lack of commitment. Everyone in the organization isn't committed anymore because I assume everybody else is talking about me the way I'm talking about them. I don't trust. We don't talk about the real issues. So there's an avoidance of accountability and an inattention to results. 
In fact, in preparation for this message, I called a friend of mine up. I said, now you've been a president of an organization. Have you ever been caught up in triangles? He said, oh my goodness, all the time. He said, it just creates a horrible environment to work for and to work around. So every time somebody came and complained, I'd say, listen, I know you don't want to talk to him directly, but the bottom line is I may be the president, but the three of us are going to have to have a chat. It's not you tell me and I tell them. We're going to get everybody in the room. He said, when I told folks, it's not going to be the two of us. It'll be the three of us. And by doing that, I get out of the triangle. I want the two of you to talk directly. But as we were chatting, I said, well, any crazy triangles you've been in over the years? He said, oh my goodness, let me tell you some crazy triangles. I one time had the spouse of someone that we had to let go called me. And all of a sudden the spouse is telling me, why did you lay off my husband? Don't you realize this and don't you realize that? He said, I hadn't made the decision. It had been made higher up, but I delivered it. And I just assumed that this person probably didn't want their spouse calling me. They'd probably be embarrassed that it happened. But they were just angry. And they were just overwhelmed. And I decided to be gracious and kind. Another time, though, I had a spouse who we weren't able to give a raise to somebody, and the spouse called me up and like, laid out their budget for me. You don't realize how expensive our house is. You don't realize how expensive our, our car is. You don't realize how hard my husband works. This is a very awkward triangle, which, again, I don't think my employee would have wanted his spouse calling the boss. But I explained to her as best I could that our decisions on bonuses are based on the overall economy, the overall company, and the individual work ethic of the person. I say, hey, I, this is an HR issue. I can't really talk to you about this because of that, but we acknowledge your husband works really, really hard, but there's many, many factors involved. But what happened there? Boy, what if, his, what if, what if the spouse had found out that her, her spouse had called the boss, right? Mistrust in all kinds of different ways. So how do we eliminate triangles and turn them into lines? Well, first, let's define a triangle. I'll give you two definitions for a triangle. Number one, a triangle is when you tell someone to tell someone, right? Yeah, I'm really mad at so-and-so, could you tell them? Hey, I really don't like what happened in that meeting, could you let them know? Now sometimes, remember back in, in grade school or kindergarten where it went the opposite direction? Because you're insecure being rejected, you said, I don't know if Billy likes me. I don't know if, if, if Cindy likes me, so I'm gonna give you a card that says, do you like me, X and Y, and you tell your best friend to hand it to the girl or the guy, and they check it off, and then it gets triangulated back to you, right? It's to protect yourself from fear or from insecurity. Or this kind of a teenage version of that, which is that you hand your phone to, to your girlfriend, your girlfriend texts the boy and says, do you want to go out with me? If he says no, you immediately say, oh, I didn't write that. My friend used my phone. So there's all kinds of crazy ways that we inject triangles. But anytime you tell someone to tell someone, you're involved in a triangle. Now, when it comes to conflict, another way to think of a triangle is when I tell that one instead of this one. See, I should have told this one, the person I had a disagreement with, the person I have a, 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 an angst over. I need to talk to them directly. But instead of talking to this one, I tell that one, can you believe how they treated me? Can you believe what I have to put up with? Right? Because it reinforces our own insecurity 
and it keeps us from dealing with the fear of having a one-on-one direct conflict. Now, Jesus addresses this in two ways. Uh, In the book of Matthew, he addresses it in chapter 18 as well as chapter 5. He says, moreover, if your brother, if a person in your life sins against you, they did something wrong. So if somebody does something wrong against you, I want you to initiate and go and tell him first. You hurt me. What you said was inappropriate. Uh, I want to talk about what happened at the meeting last week. Hey, can, uh, can we chat for a few minutes? Even though they did it wrong, you go first and tell them the fault between you and him alone. It's a line, not a triangle. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear, then you involve more people. Start with a line. Start with direct communication when somebody's done something against you. However, in Matthew 5, he references a different circumstance. If you bring your gift to the altar, you're at church, telling God how much you love him, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. You remember your brother thinks you did something wrong. Well, what do you do there? You go first. You leave your gift there before the altar. You go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then come back to church. And this is fascinating. What he is saying is that in God's eyes, being reconciled with one another in family and business is more important than going to church. Now, if you're not a churchgoer, you've been turned off by hypocritical Christians. Yeah. I have, I've been one of the people who turn people off because there's this inconsistency between what they say they believe and how Christians live. And Jesus is saying, what if my community, my church, my people were known for going and making things right when somebody did something to them or when they know that somebody thinks that they did something against them? They're in the business of lines and reconciling. I was talking to a friend recently who uh, was telling me a situation where he had a triangle. So he was the owner and his general manager had several managers who weren't real happy with the way he was managing. Now before he had done a really good job, but just had started to, to lose his edge and not be very attentive and not really commit to results. So they decided to come and talk to the manager. Uh, he wasn't real receptive. So they went around him and talked to the owner. And I was talking to the owner. I said, well, how'd you handle that? He said, well, I've got a policy. My policy is I don't talk to anyone who talks about anyone who works for me. I said, say that again? He said, I don't talk to anyone who's talking about anyone who works for me. So when they brought these concerns up, my first question was, have you talked to the manager directly? And they said they had, but he wasn't very responsive. So, well, I want you to go back and talk to him again. So again, challenge that. Don't triangulate me in here. I want you to go one-on-one. So they went back, had the conversation, and again, the person was not particularly responsive. However, this manager came to the owner and said, hey, can we chat for a little bit? The owner said, sure. 
He said, I understand that some of my employees came and talked to you and that you redirected them back to me. He said, I sure did. We're going to have trust in this organization and you can trust that we don't have gossip walking around each other. He said, well, what's going on? He said, well, it sounds like your uh, employees have lost faith in you. And if they've lost faith in you, then I've got a question mark. I'm wondering if I need to lose my confidence or trust in you. And I think as we look into the next year, we need to find ways in which you get to the bottom of this and restore your confidence in me, that I can trust and have confidence that you've got this covered. So he had this direct conversation about the issue, and several weeks went by, and the general manager came back and said to the owner, you know, I've, I've been thinking about our conversation, and the more I've thought about the more I realize I don't think, based on where I am and what's going on in the company, I'm not sure that I can regain your trust and confidence the way you need and I need. And I think I need to resign. And this situation that probably was going to result in a firing eventually really resolved itself. And the owner said by protecting gossip, by talking one-on-one, while at the same time saying, you know what, I want to tell him directly, I'm losing trust in you if so many of your managers are losing trust in you. It made for great communication. And he said that Patrick Leonsi's book, on the, uh, the, the lies that CEOs tell themselves is that often you want to fire someone without giving them direct feedback. But don't fall for that. People need feedback. Direct feedback helps people grow. So how do we go first? Well, again, if a triangle is telling someone to tell someone, how do we eliminate it? If it's talking to that one instead of to this one, how do we eliminate it, right? So again, what did Jesus say? Jesus had said, go first, go and tell them. You go first if you're part of a triangle. If someone has something against you, go your way. You take the initiative and get this done. Even Patrick Lencioni, kind of a business specialist, I've heard him speak multiple times, he says the same thing. If you've got triangles in your organization, you've got to go first, right? The leader goes first. Here's your team dysfunction, right? Absence of trust, fear of conflict, no commitment, no accountability, inattention to results. What does the leader need to do? You turn the triangle upside down by turning it into lines. Number one, I'm going to go first. We got to change the way we're communicating around here. There's too much gossip. There's too much wasted time. There's too much fear of conflict. Two, you mine for conflict. What's really going on? Let's bring it out into the open so we can talk about it and not have everything going on behind closed doors. Three, you force clarity. You force one-on-one communication. You bring people out and say, let's get to the bottom of this. You confront the issues that everyone's been hiding around in the corners, and then you force outcomes. That's what leaders do. It's exactly what Jesus told us to do in the book of Matthew. I have a good friend of mine who's been to Horizon several times, and he's a, uh, a partner in an architectural firm. And he had a conflict recently. And the conflict was a a colleague of his read something on Facebook that his wife had posted. And with all of this tension about what's a protest and what's a riot and what is Black Lives Matter and what is All Lives Matter, there's just a lot of differing opinions out there. And in all of this heated debate, this person had read something that my architect's wife has written on Facebook and he was furious. He started spreading rumors and gossip and and half-truths and assumptions about my friend. 
my friend was heartbroken. Just heartbroken. That just a little different opinion that he would assume things that weren't necessarily true. And by the time he found out about it, so many people in his organization and his community suddenly had an, uh, an opinion of him based on the gossip being spread. So you know what he did? I know what I'd want to do. I'd go want to call my friends up. Can you believe what they're doing against me? He went directly to the person. Said, can we have lunch? And when they had lunch together, he said there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of openness. What happened? Why would you think that about me? Why would you think just because I think this might be true that I think that isn't true? And they just had this really difficult conversation hearing each other's sides of the issue, not presuming that just because you emphasize one point means you don't emphasize the other point. So he had said, and then, because of the gossip, right, he had to have that lunch, got that cleaned up, but then who else did you tell? Who else did you spread this falsehood about? Oh, I'm so sorry, I told so-and-so and so-and-so. Had several one-on-ones cleaning up the mess. And the person who had started the gossip was apologetic, but the person who was harmed had to clarify, and had to do several one-on-ones. But through that, trust was, was grown rather than division and mistrust, which so often happens today. Are you willing to have tough conversations, even own the fact that you may have gossiped about someone, and you need to go and make something right because you've spread something about someone that wasn't true? So that's a triangle. Now let's talk about lines. What is a line? If we need to transform triangles into lines, we need to know what a line is. A line is when you share directly with someone your hurts, your misunderstandings, or your grievance. That's a line. I talked directly to you when I was hurt. I talked directly to you when I was grieved over a misunderstanding. But a line is we're gonna have direct communication because I love you enough to have the possibility of of misunderstanding, the possibility of us uh, hearing each other wrong, but I love you enough to talk directly about it rather than talking around you in a triangle. Now, in the book of Galatians, we see this happening in real time between two apostles who are ticked off at each other. Now, Jesus has died. He's raised from the dead. Amazing things have happened. The churches are springing up all over the world. But now the apostle Paul and the apostle Peter disagree on something. And they've got to have a direct dialogue about it. Let me show you what happens. Paul uses a line, not a triangle, to talk to Peter. Again, these are two apostles. These are the two pillar heads of the church and they're, they're disagreeing with one another. And they're gonna share directly the hurts, the disagreements, or the misunderstandings with one another. And look at the principles they do as we figure out exactly what's going on here. Number one, Paul talked directly and personally face to face with Peter. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul said, Paul's writing, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. So in this case, Peter is in the wrong. So Paul says, I've got a friend who's doing something wrong. I'm not going to talk about him behind his back or gossip. I went and talked to him face to face. I've heard some things. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds true. 
We need to talk about this. So the first thing, face-to-face communication about the issue. What's next? Now Paul addresses the main issues and the motivations for the main issues. So sometimes somebody might do the wrong thing or the right thing from a wrong motivation. So as leaders and as parents, we're dealing with the issue as well as the motivation of the issue. Now what's going on here? Well, it comes out here. Before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. To which you're like, uh, was that supposed to mean anything to me? <laughs> That's just so opaque, right? So let me tell you exactly what's happening here. Peter and Paul believe that Jews and Gentiles, all of us, are made by God, imagio Deo. Jew lives matter, Gentile lives matter, everybody matters. God loves everybody, he cares for everybody, he dies for everybody, everybody has inherent worth made in God's image. However, Peter, who's Jewish, begins to hang out with some of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people here in Galatia begin to convince him that, you know, those Gentiles, those non-Jews, aren't quite as acceptable before God as we are. Woo! The apostle Peter is being a racist. He is separated from the Gentiles because he thinks, because he grew up with the Bible, uh, because of the color of his skin, because he doesn't do the pagan practices of the Romans and and the Greeks, he thinks he's a little bit better than the Gentiles, so he doesn't hang out with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul comes and says, whoa, what you're doing is wrong, and let me tell you the motivation for what you're doing is wrong. Look what he says. There's people who came and convinced you of this nonsense. When they came, he withdrew. This is the main issue. You withdrew and separated yourself from the Gentiles, right? You think somehow that Gentiles are not clean and you are. And you're doing it out of fear. You're fearing the people of the circumcision. That's other Jewish people. So because you're fearing one group, it's motivating you to make very bad decisions. And Peter, we got to talk about this. Now, how does he address it? He's talked about the motivation. He's talked about the issue. Now, it's fascinating what he says. Paul realized that individual behaviors affect everyone else. You got one person gossiping in your organization, it affects everybody. You got a triangle in your family, everyone feels it. And Paul addresses this specifically. The rest of the Jews, the other people in the community, because Peter's a leader, because he's the apostle Peter and he's doing this, they played the hypocrite with him. Even Barnabas, this kind of leader in the day, the kind of man's man, uh, head of the church, he got sucked into this, was carried away with their hypocrisy. Now look at this word, hypocrite and hypocrisy. Why does he say that? Because the Bible says, from the very book of Genesis, all of us are made imagio Deo in God's image. And to be, live consistent with that is that every person has inherent value. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. But the word hypocrite is the Greek word actor. When you act like you believe one thing, but you do or perform in a totally different way. You're a hypocrite. Now, what's he a hypocrite to? 
teachings of the Bible. We're all descendants of Adam. We're all descendants of Noah. We're all made in God's image. God loves everyone. God cares about everyone. God has put inherent value into all of us. He's made us in his image. But that's not exactly what he said. He has another layer to this. Look what he says. Paul approached this with humility and confidence, right? Hey, listen, I got, we got to talk about this. But look what he says he's a hypocrite too. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. So to be a hypocrite is to not be straightforward with the truth of the gospel. What does that mean? Let me go over the gospel real quick. The main message of the Bible is that Jesus came to earth and died for every one of us. Because every one of us, no matter how much religion you have or don't have, no matter how good you think you are or don't think you are, all of us are equally in trouble. We're equally humbled, equally in need of his forgiveness, which means it doesn't matter if your skin color is red, yellow, black, or white, equally in need of God's forgiveness. It doesn't matter if you grew up religious or irreligious, equally in need of God's forgiveness. So when you think that your Jewishness makes you not quite as, 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 as evil as the Romans, or you think that you're somehow more forgivable than the Gentiles, you are not straightforward with the truth of the gospel. You think that all have fallen short of God's standards, except you, you're, you're a little bit higher than other people, because you would never do that, or you would never say that. And you see, self-righteousness is the, it's the plague of our current culture. Everyone thinks they're better than other people. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would never say that. I would never do that. I would never think that. Religious people think that of irreligious people, and irreligious people think that of religious people. These people with no brains and their crutch of a religion. They both got the same problem, self-righteousness. And what Paul's saying here is that the main message of the Bible humbles everyone equally, and the message of the Bible is that when you ask Christ to be your forgiver and leader, it elevates everyone equally. If you grew up as a Gentile or grew up as a Jew, you are equally acceptable before God. You grew up religious or irreligious. You grew up hearing about Zeus versus hearing about the Torah. But if you understand who God is in Christ, you're equally elevated. And see, here's what happened with Peter. Peter thought he wasn't quite as need of forgiveness as the Gentiles. And because he kept the law, because he was Jewish and not Gentile, he thought he was sure they're going to get to heaven, but I'm really going to get to heaven because I'm Jewish. The way he was a hypocrite to the gospel is a really unique lens on racism that Paul brings in here. He could have said, hey, you broke the racism rule. He could have said, hey, we're all descendants of Adam and Noah and we're made in God's image. But instead he says that the gospel, the main message of the Bible says, that we're all equally in need of forgiveness and we're all equally elevated in Christ and you become a hypocrite and you're not living out the straightforwardness of that message. And I said it to Peter before all of them because it was a public, uh, a public display of this bad attitude and bad behavior. So he had to address it publicly after he addressed it face to face. If you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live the same? You can't keep the law. Why do you think they should keep the law? Look at how Paul addressed that face-to-face. Then we've got to deal with the consequences. You let other people astray. Now we've got to talk about the whole community that you let astray. He's addressing this straightforward with a line. I've got a grievance. We've got an issue. And we've got to talk about it. 
That's the power of a line. Let's talk about this directly. What if you and I created a culture, I mean a culture, the normative behavior in our workplace, in our division, in our family, was lines, not triangles? What if we could combat the stench of mistrust, the stench of gossip, the stench of who's talking about me whenever? What if we built a community, a family, a division, a department of trust and courage? Wouldn't you want to work there, right? Wouldn't you want to be in a family like that? I would. Create a culture in your personal and professional life of lines, not triangles. Now, one of the reasons we've decided to attack this series shape is we know that there's just so much pressure in our society. People disagreeing with each other and being very self-righteous about their opinions. Politically, racially, there's just so much tension And one of the things that helps with that tension is this main message of the Bible that extracts the self-righteousness. It gives you enough humility to listen to someone else, to not feel like you're always right all the time. And when it comes to families, we're doing a very unique thing right now. One-on-one, right? I'm able to talk to you directly, almost like a line through the TV. We have over a thousand people weekly watching our services online. However, we also are offering live services for the last four weeks because we think learning about triangles, learning about the Bible, it's important to just being successful in life. So if you feel like you're ready to come back, boy, come and enjoy the service with us. We'd love to worship with you either here in the chapel or out in the, uh, in the terrace or you want to come to our 1045 service, our exploring service, family edition. You'd hear exactly what I just shared, but I take about 10 minutes out Sierra, our children's pastor, and I co-teach it together, and we add in some magic and some juggling, very much uh, content for all of us as adults and family members, but with a little more entertainment. We are committed as a church to reach our community during this very difficult time with as many different tools as possible. Apps, websites, online services, live services, uh, a place to sit outside so you can feel safer. Whatever allows you to get the tools you need, to have the tools that you can really apply today, not just I want to get to heaven someday, but how can I bring heaven to earth even now? But the secret to that is what Paul said, to understand and be straightforward with the gospel. And maybe you'd like to invite God into your life and recommit to living straightforward with it. If you want, why don't you pray with me? Can can I pray with you? Say, Father, forgive me for my gossip. Forgive me for maligning someone else. Thank you for dying for me on the cross and all of my fear or insecurity or just wrongdoing. Help me to live straightforward with the humility and confidence of knowing that I'm equally in need of forgiveness, but equally fully forgiven because of what you've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.